Welcome to the On Your Marks podcast, and I'm your host, Matthew Wood from GW Active. This is the podcast where we chat to the founders, leaders, and innovators behind the brands that inspire you to get on your starting blocks. The world of sport is competitive by nature, and a business that underpins it often has an interesting story behind it. And with this podcast, we aim to get an insight into those that drive it forward. On this episode, we speak to Jamie Douglas Hamilton, who is the founder and director at Active Water. Jamie was part of a historic world record-breaking expedition where he rode 5,000 miles from Australia to Africa in an unsupported rowing boat. During this record attempt, he was inspired to come up with Active Water. Active Water is the first alkaline ionized bottled water in Europe, and it aims to be the most hydrating and the highest alkaline water on the market, delivering better balance for consumers. I start my conversation with Jamie by chatting about his early life. Yeah, so I grew up in a small fishing town in Scotland called North Berwick, a beautiful golfing country, and I went to school up there. Uh, I know I don't sound it, but I <laughs> did actually go to school up there. Uh, since there, I've um, lived in Newcastle, I've lived in London, lived in Boston, and I'm back in, back in Edinburgh now. Okay, uh, so like family-wise, what did your parents do? What were they? So dad was a politician. He was oh. Minister of State uh, okay. in Scotland, so Thatcher's and Major's time, which wow. is very interesting, very uh, interesting stories. So he yeah. was a Minister of Housing, Prisons, um, Environment, uh, how, um, uh, Transport, and a whole array of different things. It's a strange kind of growing up in that time, you know, see, <laughs> seeing, seeing your dad in the papers criticised usually uh, during that time because the press weren't very favourable towards the Conservatives during that time, especially in Scotland with, with Thatcherism. Um, but yeah, that was, that was early life. And How about you, your mum, was she around that time? When she was. Mum had uh, a shop that she built into two shops and that was interior fabrics. Mm. And uh, yeah, she had that in, in East Lothian, okay. which uh, went down, which yeah, still one of them was running up to, to a few years ago until she let it go. Um, was the dad based uh, in Parliament then? And he was based in Parliament. So we, we, were, we were at school, so we were boarding at the time. Ah, boarding, yeah. But we would, we would see them at the weekends. But he was down from Monday to Friday, down here in London, mm. which makes it quite hard. Yeah. You know, for, for, it must be quite hard for mum during that time. But at the same time, she had her own business. She had her own business, she was busy. Uh, they were both very active, very, you know, they were very, very hard working. I was uh, look at Dad and really, you know, could not believe the workload you have to go through when you're a minister. <laughs> you get red boxes at night, and then you'd have to go through what looked like hundreds, hundreds of paper, you know, doc, uh, pages of documents, and you have to get through them every single day. And that was just one of the things you had to do before going into work, meetings, your speeches. So it's. It was, it was tough at tough that time. It's a good thing to see and uh, <laughs> it's a good background to learn from. Like, your mum doing business and your dad working at extreme hours. Like, obviously, you being an entrepreneur yourself nowadays, it's maybe your mum's side of things you saw quite a lot of there, but then the work ethic from your father's side, maybe. Yeah, we were always, I think it's you're very heavily influenced by your, by your parents and just having that you know, uh, hard work ethic. You know, she was to say, you know, it's, you've got to go out and you've got to graft. And we've always lived with that. You know, all our brothers have worked the whole way through our lives. Um, whereas some, some people, some of my friends, you know, haven't. Yep. It's not saying there's um, too many young people ruined by too much money, but none by too few. Mm. And so if you're forced to, to, to work, you know, I think it's, I think it's a very healthy, healthy thing. That's definitely a, good, a pretty fantastic background you've got there. Um, school-wise, so you're at boarding school, 
what kind of what kind of person were you at school? Were you an in-betweener or were you a quiet kid or were you a loud kid? Were you a popular kid? Yeah, I think it's you go through different stages. You know, prep school was probably quite quiet. And then as you go into secondary school, um, yeah. during that time I realised, you know, I was quite fast at running. So mm-hmm. I just started training more. I won the fit to the door last year at school and kind of built into that to rugby. And I think at school, the better you are at sports, the more you kind of tend to enjoy school. And <laughs> uh, so I was really into sports at secondary school. Had a great time. What was your favourite uh, event in athletics? What you obviously 400 metres. 400 metres. So, so 400, so I got down to 49 seconds, uh, which was it was good, but it wasn't quite good enough to be you know in, in that you know, top top kind of two in Scotland. Yeah. Um, we say we're down at kind of 47, 48. Mm. And so it's almost a year of training to actually just get one second, one second down. <laughs> so a lot of work needed to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was great fun. We, we could do cross country and long distance, but then do the hundreds, eleven point seven. So it was having that balance between mm. short distance, long distance. When you come to four hundred, it was ideal. Yeah. Obviously, you're working in the sporting industry now and stuff, so obviously you've got a good grounding in that. Yeah, absolutely. But when, when you went to university, I think, was it Newcastle? Newcastle, yeah. yeah. And um, were you still involved in sport there, or did you kind of... No, it's unfortunately not. The, the problem is that we had, so we had a gap here when we went travelling. Okay. Where did so, you go? So went to, worked in the salvage ship, actually, for about four, four months. Uh, where I couldn't actually spend any money uh, because you're working <laughs> you work out at sea the whole time and saved up and then went to Kenya, Tanzania, then uh, Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Thailand, Bali, Australia and then South America. Were you backpacking or was it just... Back, yeah, backpacking yeah. and then we did part of it was Gap Challenge okay. so it's where you go on a, a Gap adventure but we helped build a skill in Ecuador. Oh wow. Uh, which is great, yeah, it was really good. A busy year then. Busy, busy year, absolutely, <laughs> ran packed. Yeah. Um, so obviously the, all the things you learn from that gap year experience, like some people listening might um, have kids or may be looking about going to do a gap year at some point. Like, was it something you recommend people would do? Oh definitely, I think a lot of people that regret it later on if they haven't done, done gap year. And once you finish university you want to kind of get into work, or your friends get into work, whereas it's a, a lot better to do it beforehand. Yeah. Did you meet people on the way that you knew at university, or were you kind of just going? Yeah, there? different different places. So we had a round the world ticket. So hmm. it was uh, you could book it for quite. You can get these tickets relatively cheaply. Yeah. Uh, I think back then for whatever it was, sixteen flights, it was like nine hundred pounds. Wow. <laughs> and a bit more now, but only only slightly more. Yeah. Uh, but you have to go in the same same direction, and going down, it's, it's amazing how many people you meet unexpectedly, but more British in. Australia, I did meet Australians. <laughs> so <laughs> I wonder how many young people were left, uh, left in Britain. There's so many of them out there. We're all packed together, don't we? Exactly, yeah. The Cairns going down the Gold Coast, uh, which wow. is great fun. Well, which bit was your favourite part of it, like that you remember the most out of it? Africa, definitely, yeah. It was so different. The, f- the first time you go to Tanzania, you go to Kenya, it's, it's absolutely magical. You know, some of those safaris, um, my cousin, so cousins over there set up save the elephants. Yeah. So we had a network. Went to um, up to yeah, Samburu where they have an elephant research centre. Wow. Just was, all in the gap year. Yeah, all, all, all wow. in the gap year, and it was almost feels prehistoric uh, going over to Kenya and Tanzania. Mm. In some places, you almost imagine dinosaurs mm. coming yeah. over. <laughs> but that was so different, and it has everything from the rainforest to the beaches to um, you know beautiful savannas. Yeah. Uh, to 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 Nairobi was a really fun city. Okay. So yeah, it was it was great fun. I miss those days. It's one of those things you look back into back into those days, 
favourably. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do them again now. Yeah. You yeah, wouldn't do it again now, you've done it now. That's yeah, it. I'll do it for a few weeks. A few weeks, <laughs> but yeah. You're probably too busy right now to exactly, do that at this exactly. point in time, yeah. Also, you obviously learned a lot on, a lot on your travels there, and then you went to Newcastle, you did geography there. Uh, why was it geography? Was it because obviously you travelled around the world, so you thought you'd yeah, learn more was, about it? Was, it was, I was just, I thought, you know, always told, just do something you enjoy. And, but then once, once I was actually at university, you're not learning that much about geography. Mm-hmm. You're learning more and more about less and less. So you're learning a lot more about what whole different, you know, the whole different theories, conflicting theories, say about a particular point. You're not learning things like you would do at A level. Yep. So it was good fun, but I was unfortunately, yeah, going out, going out too much at Newcastle. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Living that lifestyle. Living that lifestyle. We we just talked uh, uh, before this interview about our kind of similarities from the, the nightclub scene over the years, and you yep. you end up kind of being quite entrepreneurial in that environment. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so that, that started by accident, actually, by um, uh, renting a venue one night. Um, it was uh, yeah, it was at the end of second year, and charging anyone who came in money, and we kept keeping money from anyone coming in uh, through, the, through the door money. And we had 1,200 people turn up to this club night. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it, just from my phone and just getting a few friends involved. I thought, hang on, there's something in this. This is, you know, this is... We, we collected made over four thousand one night. Was, was like, it just yourself, or was it a couple of? Just yeah, just myself. Yeah. And then we got then set up properly with one other partner. Yeah. Uh, which made it a lot of fun. Yeah. And and then from there we we started running the boat in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did legends. Uh, we did uh, liquids. And we did icon. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these nights were the biggest. I mean, icon was the biggest in the country. Mm-hmm. Three thousand people per night wow. uh, every Wednesday. Uh, the biggest one we ever did was three thousand eight hundred. <laughs> And you just learn once you've done one, you want to do another one. And then once you've created how to create you know, a monopoly in one city, having Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights, you then think, let's do this in another city. So we did that in Leeds, and we took it to Bristol. And then from there, we decided, let's take it to Cardiff, to Glasgow, to Sheffield, to Brighton. And what what age were you doing this at? What, how old were you? So I was, so I would have been 23 when I started, 22, wow. 23. And... And then carried it, yeah, carried it. For about three years after that, it grew very, very quickly. Mm. And especially once we left university, it grew very quickly. Mm. And we had 420 people employed at one stage. Um, But it got too big, and it's something you don't actually own. Mm. You know, you're a middleman between the clubs and yourself. Mm. Um, But I think it's some of the best training you can ever do, working out how to make a venue exciting, um, you know, doing different brands for each night, turning around flyers very quickly. Mm. You're living on adrenaline the whole time. Mm. It's like organised chaos. <laughs> the whole yeah. time. You know, but it was... Uh, it was fighting fires everywhere. Yeah, fighting, <laughs> exactly. And things going wrong. And then eventually, because the barriers to entry were so low, we had lots of other promoter, promotions companies stealing our DJs, telling us two hours before the night. Um, there was a lot of things. You can never relax in the industry. Mm. And and look back at it now, it was great fun at the time, but towards the end, it was a lot of stress. Was there a moment where you thought this isn't for me? Was there a one second, that one bite, or was it kind of a gradual thing? It was it was a continual process, and once once you're in something, it's very hard to kind of get out easily because mm. you're always so busy and you've been torn in so many directions. Um, what happened during the recession was particularly difficult because clubs. Started, charging, started letting all their customers in for free, yeah. or charging one pound. 
So our entire business model was then wrecked as a result. Hmm. We were then overextended, we had too many full-time employees, we had too many part-time employees. How many full-time did you have at that point? Uh, well, full-time was only nine, it was actually nine full-time in the office, the rest were actually eight, so we called them independent agents. Yep. And so you'd run it for having a city manager, then you have a night manager in each city, and then we'd, it was hard work having to go around every single one. Do you find yourself driving to different cities or were you kind of staying in Newcastle and managing from there or were you... We t- tend, to, tend to manage it from Newcastle yeah. and then go to, so I would, we, between me and Sam, we'd have different, different, different cities we go to. He would manage Leeds mm-hmm. and I would do Bristol, I'd do Cardiff mm-hmm. and I'd do Glasgow and he would do Durham, Leeds, Sheffield. Lots of driving. So, <laughs> lots of driving, yeah, the whole time, the whole time you're on a your train, plane, you're in a car. Wow. And so... And it's, it's a shame because it was so much fun during that time, but you can't build a brand that you can then sell on. Yeah. The barriers to entry were too, too low. Yeah. And uh, events just aren't as lucrative no. as people think. Yeah. And <laughs> especially with you know, VAT rising. Uh, you've got other things to cost like PRS as well, mm. especially once you do bigger events. Um, there was a time we were actually going to do Cardiff Millennium Stadium and rent the whole thing and do a white party, black and white ball and we ended up not doing it because the costs of doing this were so high. Yeah. Once you break it all down, very few of these event organisers make, make you know, de- decent profits. Mm. Even when you see these big festivals selling out, they only make money out of the last 10% of people that come in. Yeah. So it's, it's not, not a lucrative business. No. And it's not something you can kind of s- sell on. Um, or scale like it is. Or scale, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's why when you do a product, you know, it takes a lot longer to get to market. There's a lot more you have to think about, mm. and the, uh, but it can take, most people it takes two years. Mm. But once you've got it, there's no better buzz than seeing something on a shelf and then seeing something that you're building a brand mm. that you know, has actually equity in it. Yeah. You know, and it's something, something that's got longevity in it. Yeah. And you don't have to be up at all hours of the night worrying <laughs> about things. You can't, you know, I had to cancel two holidays when we do club nights because we, we you know, just through stress, trying to win contracts. Mm. And eventually, you have very, very little life when you when you do when you're doing r- r- running club nights. Yeah, definitely. But in, looking back at it, it was great, great fun, great training. Um, a lot of people we work with have gone on to do great things since. Mm. You know, so it's you partner, your business partner that you work with. You, you still talk to him? Are you still friends? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to try and meet up for next week. Actually, oh, really? So, yeah, <laughs> I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen him for for yeah, I haven't seen him for for for, for, for a while, but. But yeah, we're still still talking. But eventually, um, you go to battle every day with them, like, and you learn a lot about that person. So it's difficult to come. Yeah, together. we lived together too. At really? one stage, we had we lived together and actually had the office downstairs, <laughs> which I wouldn't recommend to anyone. <laughs> it's it's uh, something <laughs> married to someone. Uh, it's too close. <laughs> it's, <laughs> literally on top of it. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly, and no escape. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you find that hard to have that working environment, your friends, and everything attached to one thing? And did you have? Anything you could do to escape from that at that point? Well, we, we, were that age? We, we did because we weren't always in the house. A lot of time we were spent outside at different cities, so we weren't always, always yeah. there. Um, but even then, you know, I was trying to, you know, I was trying to do as much fitness as you possibly can. Mm. It's harder when you're at university because yeah. it's not very healthy. Unless you're into, <laughs> you know, into, you know, doing sports, it's not a very healthy lifestyle. More distractions as well. Yeah, exactly. A lot more distractions. So, so after obviously you learned a lot about a lot about business doing that, and then I've noticed on I looked at your LinkedIn profile before we met up today, and you went to Babson College in the US. Yeah, that's right. How, how did that come about? Yeah, so that's that's it came about through something called the Saltire Fellowship. 
And that's where in Scotland they realise they've got less entrepreneurs than England. Mm-hmm. And it's calculated by how many businesses set up per thousand people. In England you have 3.5 per thousand. Mm-hmm. In Scotland it's 1.7. So there's a huge gap. It was too reliant on finance and oil. And they were trying to rebalance their economy. So they created this programme where you'd start off in RBS to do finance training in Edinburgh. You'd fly to Babson, you did a condensed MBA for four months. To MBA, and, you did Yeah, it. and yeah. then from there you would go on to do, and it was hard, it was six days a week of lectures. Mm-hmm. So Saturday was the same as a Friday. And every night you'd have three to four case studies. Mm-hmm. And, and it, was, it was a tough, tough, I mean, it was, when I went out there, I probably could read 20 pages that time, you know, quite slowly. By the end of it, you have to read up to 100 pages at night. And you have to learn the technique of how to read, you know, how to skim read, you know, mm. all the time. Don't read every word. You could ask yourself, what is this telling me? And did you apply for that? So when you're at Newcastle, you, you finished in Newcastle there, and you, did you apply for it while you had your business, or did you apply for it? No, I, 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 I after after the club nights and absolute life, mm. um, I took a bit, bit, bit of bit of time out at that time. So I worked for yeah, a roofing construction company oh, wow. up in Edinburgh. That's great. completely different. <laughs> yeah, completely yeah. different. Yeah, and, and like uh, cleanse yourself at that point. Yeah, right? and then, then then got and it was great because I was getting fit for the big row. Um, yeah, yeah. So that was and then straight after that went and did the um, yeah went to, went and did the Soltai Fellowship, and that was an eight month long program. Yeah, probably the best best thing. So they take you all around the world to China, to Silicon Valley. Then you have got to do a project in Scotland. And a month after finishing that, set up Active Water. Wow. Um, so it all came from... Like, we missed a, a giant thing that, uh, about you, and I think I mentioned it in the prelogue. Um, you got two world records yourself. Um, were they set... So they were set in between university and doing the Babson College? That's right, that's okay. right. That was when a group of us rode from Australia to Africa. Right. And, as you do, and, yeah, as you do, yeah. and well, a lot of people, a lot you might hear about people rowing the Talisker Challenge, and that's that's in Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Once you get into the trade route, winds routes that kind of you go across to Barbados. But outside of that, there's a lot of oceans that haven't been rowed or things that haven't been done yeah. for good reason. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty dangerous. Lots of sharks. And there's <laughs> lots of sharks, and it's you can get pretty bad weather out there. Yeah, you get hit storm, big storms. Well, let's break that down a little bit. So you're from Australia to Africa, was it? Yeah. Um, whereabouts in Africa did you finish? Oh. Uh, it was Seychelles. Seychelles. Okay, so you're so, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we were going to, at the time, we were heading for Durban in South Africa. Yeah. And um, we couldn't go there because we were hit by such big storms. And they took so far north that we had to go, we had to end up going north Madagascar. <laughs> then all the currents were taking us up towards India. And so we had to row against the currents to kind of get, uh, to get over but the problem was we were getting washed up towards Somalia. No matter how much effort we were putting in, <laughs> we just we were outside of the currents to take us kind of west. And during that time, you had Al-Shabaab went into piracy. Mm. Um, you had a lot of bombings of hotels uh, up, up in Lamu, and, and it was a pretty dangerous time. So, you're, so was it two people? Or six, six of us. Six yeah, people. Six and did you have a, like a boat supporting you to like... Oh, no, 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 nothing. No, 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 nothing, nothing. So just six of you in the water, food, how did that work? Yeah, so that was, that was um, so we had freeze-dried food mm-hmm. every single day. We, we put two lines down every day as well, so we caught a lot of Dorado, ate Dorado raw. Uh, we had squids, we had barracudas. <laughs> they just run out of the side of boats and then <laughs> you sit and tuggle, you pull it out. And, uh, and yeah, it's great fun actually. 
problem is once you get used to freeze-dried foods and you eat fr- fresh fish, mm-hmm. it disagrees with some people. Yeah. So after a while, it's quite hard to do. Um, eating the fish raw as it, as it comes out of the water. Yeah, uh, yeah. As you, you see you, it. So, so yeah, you eat it, eat, it, eat it raw, which tastes, tastes absolutely fine. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't. Once you get used to it. Once you're in that situation, you don't look forward to food as food being, you know, a nice meal that you're mm. enjoying the taste of. You literally see it as fuel, mm. like putting petrol into a petrol tank, you know, and it's... it's it was when you need it, you need it, don't you? Yeah, and it's, it's, everything was two hours on, two hours off, two hours on, two hours off. When you say off, you mean no rowing, just kind of... Yeah, so you're in, you go then, you go into the hatches uh, and then you sleep. So the okay. reason for that is you keep yourself in a permanent state of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Uh, therefore, you can never, you can body can never get stiff. You can never recover. Uh, and when you actually finish, it was t- two and a half months. When you actually finish, it was stiffness I had for two weeks afterwards. I thought I'd never get get out of it. It was like it's almost like my even down to your bones, you just feel stretched and kind of as if you're an old man. You know, it's 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 you know your muscles were absolutely fatigued to anything. When, once you're doing it, you can somehow keep going. How did you recover? So the food you're eating, is it was, did you have any recovery foods, any, any yeah, protein so, drinks? So we, we'd, we'd have four main meals in a day. It's yeah. very important to eat a lot. So you, we had to eat uh, 50, uh, yeah, five, sorry, five to 6,000 calories a day. It's quite hard to eat any, any, any more than that. Uh, so that would be, fr- freeze-dried food gave you a lot of energy. Mm. That was you'd boil your jet boil, you put it into your... Your food, and you let stir for ten minutes, then you eat it. But you'd have everything from bote to to uh, spaghetti bolognese, which was horrendous. Uh, <laughs> but you had some great, great curries in there. Anything with rice and curry was actually really good. And um, then you'd have your, your your chocolate bars. That was more for comfort to get the calories up. And nighttime, you go to muesli bars, you go to cliff bars, and you go to energy gels. Because you don't want to have be, be, be having main meals at night. Yeah. And by the last night session you've done, it actually becomes quite, quite hard. Yeah. Nothing gives you more energy than actually just main meals. Yeah. So we had to have four meals. Four meals a day doing four that, meals. Yeah. And it's hard to get into the sleeping because you don't... It takes at least five days to get into that routine. You can never sleep more than probably hour 50 minutes at max. And during the day you don't really sleep, you know, because it's quite hard to get there with the melatonin. You know, it's so light outside, it's hard to, hard to sleep. So you're probably surviving on four half hours sleep every day fantastic and so eventually you start going going mad I was reading some stuff about sleeping patterns and how you can like adapt your sleep and there's different ways of doing it and sleeping for intermittently for like two hours throughout a day even a normal working day you can find yourself being actually quite able to live a normal life off it so you should have done some research while you were there you could have been like, yeah, yeah, exactly. recorded and it would have been quite interesting to see the results from that well you can actually you can in theory do it indefinitely uh, I mean, for for I mean, we could have probably gone on. Ah. The, the problem we had is rowing for two hours. So yeah, and our steering broke. So our Morse cable broke, which meant that we had to get two people off the oars onto onto steering. And uh, when that happens, you've only got four people. It's two people rowing at any one time. Yeah. And so to start to get three people on the oars, you had to start your shift forty minutes early. Hmm. Two hours forty on, hour and twenty off. And during that time, we did that for seven days. And I remember looking at the rower in front of me, thinking he was still, you know, and imagining something completely different. I imagined him going up and down a step ladder in a laboratory, changing a light bulb. What? Even though I was looking, we're in a storm, and my eyes couldn't even recognise what I was seeing. 
and and that's why I realised basically hallucinating completely hallucinating but with your eyes open and and I kept on screaming Fian why you changed your light bulb Fian why you changed your light bulb so he turns around and he hits me and he said what are you talking about and the waves coming over the 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 boat my brain couldn't even interpret that waves called waves were kind of hitting me all over your body and you couldn't even snap out then two days later he is from Iceland he then gets up and he sees a giant hand coming out of the ocean and even if you're hallucinating you'd be (laughs) you'd be pretty scared he gets up and he tries to shake the hand <laughs> before he gets pulled back. And then you realise this is yeah, this is pretty... And that was seven days into it, you said? Yeah, that was seven days. The into whole it. thing took how long? Two and a half months. Two and a half, Two months. And a half months? So ten, ten weeks on, on the water alone with those six people with you. Like, how did you meet these people? That's just... Yeah, it was, it was pulled together. <laughs> You're crazy, but these people are <laughs> equally as crazy. Right, so. they, they are the, the first of all, some of them I had I only met actually when we got out to Australia. Wow. Because they were into, they were some of them either rode an ocean before yeah. or into, in, into rowing and wanted to do this adventure. And leaving our captain in Scotland had pulled them all together. Hmm. But they were, they were quite a unique bunch. Of, <laughs> were they experienced relative to yourself or were they? They were, two, two of them were very, very experienced rowers. Yeah. Um, Cameron was right internationally for South Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, was, he was very, very strong. Um, it was interesting that two river rowers went into it thinking this would be easy. Hmm. And after the first week, they'd completely crumbled. Really? Um, you can't crumble at that point, I imagine. And very, very you know, loud uh, before they went out, you know, how to pull the perfect stroke, how to do the perfect <laughs> catch. So if we were rowing across the flat ocean, mm. and you know, once, once you're out there, it was very different to that. It becomes mental rather than just your talent or your ability to row. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. it's, it's, I would say it's almost all mental. Yeah. And it was a technique I had uh, been, been taught about how your conscious mind controls your subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. And so when we went through really bad storms, some of them were, were harsh. I mean, mm-hmm. we were in a force 10, we landed upside down. Wow. And you know that was when we were rowing at the time, uh, but I just kept on saying to myself, "This is nothing. We can go forever. This is nothing. <laughs> we can go forever." <laughs> and you somehow you trick your subconscious to thinking about how bad this is. Yeah, you can just keep on going. And Obviously, you've done some amazing stuff in the past, but this nothing can prepare you for this. Like, no, no. I mean, we used to. I mean, towards the end, you're doing training. You know, sometimes twice a day. Uh, you do your early morning rows because you went a ro- you went a rower at school or no I was I was a runner so we did a lot of Scottish Islands Peaks race we did you know from athletics and then did a lot of coastal rowing and okay. built into this yeah um, but yeah it was it was a lot of mental toughness you've got to you've got to train yourself for one of the things we did was having a rowing machine outside your room and as soon as your alarm goes off you set up at different times of night whether it's two o'clock whether it's four o'clock. As soon as it goes off, within 10 seconds, you have to be on that rowing machine. <laughs> uh, so you're getting straight used to, you're not doing things out of, yeah. you know, it feels nice and re- relaxed. You're just, as soon as it goes off, you're out, don't think about it, on it. Row for one hour, and then after you finish, go back, don't go to, to the loo, you're sweating, get back into your bed, just sort of sweating to bed sheets. <laughs> and that's sort of replicating what you're doing actually on the row. And then your alarm goes off at seven, and you're straight in, you know, you're into work. And that gets you into that sleep deprivation. I think getting scared about things really helps. Mm. You think 
mean, what drove us was the fear of failure. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens if you, you know, you, you fear, fear of failure is in like death, or fear of failure is in well, if, you, if, you, if you had to, if you had to get rescued, once you say you're going to do something, yeah, you know, you've got to go go ahead and do it. Mm. And that was that was a big big worry for us. You know, what happens if something something went wrong, or you know, we got hit by a container. Um, so there's lo- the hundreds of containers all around the Indian Ocean, all around any ocean that's semi-submerged. You can't see them. They're about a foot underneath, and they, they just float around. And one of our friends in a rowboat hit one of these containers in the Atlantic, wow. and it took off a rudder straight away. It pulled the expedition. It just ended. Even though yeah. they were fit enough to go on, without a rudder, you can't do anything. I, I often think like there's always something guiding someone or a greater power, in a way. Um, and... I was thinking the fear of failure was that it for you, or was there something else that was driving you? Obviously, nothing in your previous life that we talked about can really train you for it, so it must have been something else. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, for, for me, it was for, for, because it didn't, um, you know, I pulled my Achilles tendon when I was getting fit before I could go into that final year at school. Mm-hmm. You know, I ho- was hoping to run for Scotland during that time, and I couldn't when I pulled my Achilles tendon. That's all. One of those slight regrets, and I was kind of going back into that. Um, we grew up, when we were kids, living in Oldham, what Grandad did. He was the first man to fly over Mount Everest. Your granddad was the first man to fly over Mount Everest? Everest, yeah, 1933. We used to look up and awe of it when we were kids. And just <laughs> like we li- wished we lived in that age of exploration. Yeah, wow. Uh, we didn't realise some things hadn't been done. Hmm. And so as a result, yeah, this is one of the few things that hadn't been done. But we've got another expedition coming up. Really? Which is seriously tough. Okay. And that's that's coming up this this Christmas, and we can't can't announce it yet. But it's okay. going to be in the south. Okay. And it's going to be a world first. The south is in the south, south of the UK or the south of the world. The south of the world. Yeah. And the rowing expedition, and so it's going to be. Yeah. Tough, I probably guess where it could potentially be, but that, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, is it you, the same team, or is it going to be two members of the same team? And that wow. will be in very, very, very cold conditions. I was, I was going to pivot into the fact that during that time when you were thinking about um, when you were rowing and you, you created active from, from that moment, really, everything you learned on that journey helped you get to the point where you ran out of active. But this other journey will be something to promote active to the universe, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> once that's done, <laughs> that's a great idea. But no, I'd, I'd like to talk about that as well. But obviously, you're alone now at the water, not alone, with six people, and um, you go through all sorts of issues, and water, and make sure you have enough water during the row is obviously massively important. And I don't imagine you carried gallons and gallons of water on the boat with you. You carry a very, very small amount. Okay. The rest, you have, to, you, you have reverse osmosis membranes. Yep. Uh, so you take seawater, uh, it's powered by a battery from your solar panels and a wind turbine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that powers the battery, you turn the battery on and it, and it creates the water. So you're turning the salt water in the sea yeah, into sea water, water, drinkable you, water. But you essentially force it through a membrane yep. and water molecules are the smallest, smaller than salts. Mm. And so it's cl- all the salts get clogged up and it comes through. It's probably the only part I remember about biology at school. Yeah, 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 yeah. Semi-permeable membrane, that's, yeah, that's what I'm right. <laughs> But yeah, so you were drinking the actual water from the sea. How long did that process take to get your your water from that? Uh, well, we were the pro- the problem was the first two weeks we were doing it, we had purified water, and purified water isn't actually good for you. 
You want water with mineral synthetics. So explain purified water and what, what, what constituents that uh, are. I would say purified water, I mean super purified water is when you have under 20 parts per million. Okay. And reverse osmosis would take it down to probably about te- you know, 7 to 10 parts per million. Okay. And so it's basically all that's there is water. Right. And water is very good at delivering minerals and nutrients to different parts of you know, different cells in your body. Yeah. Um, but if you over-purify, it, it would take those minerals out. It takes those minerals out. Yeah. And some places they, in America, they actually called, uh, call reverse osmosis water and distilled water, death water. That's what cool. Really? It's just trying to suck. It becomes very aggressive. If we put reverse osmosis water in anything but a stainless steel tank, mm. it will eat that tank. Wow. So it's aggravated water. Yeah. You know, and the same process is happening in your body with water. Yeah. It will try to get minerals in some like minerals into the water before it starts, you know, before before it comes down. So so active water, when yep. it starts a high pH water. So explain a bit about how this idea came while you're out there. Well this this we were drinking ten to thirteen litres of water every single day. Which is a huge, huge amount. You're rowing quite a lot. Yeah, so. you're, you're, yeah, you're, yeah and, and some days were hot. It was mm. hot in the cabins and in the, in the kind of hatches. And uh, we got to a stage where we were getting very you know, unbalanced. Mm. We were hallucinating at night. You had very little power in the ocean. You come to the end of a 40 minute session, mm. and you know, a two hour session, the last 40 minutes were about absolute hell, mm. uh, especially, especially at night. And you have very little power. And it changed when one person mixed his seawater with water. Mm. We were told never to do that, so it would kill you. Mm. And he did it. And he said, You he did it whilst you're out. Yeah, right. and, he, and he encouraged us all to try it. And the first <laughs> time we did it, couldn't believe the effect it had. I didn't flag at all, bunk at all, bunk at all, all the way to the end of a two hour session. Yeah. You never got that kind of tiredness in the last 40 minutes. Mm. And I tried this again. And I didn't, yeah, the effect was you know, really, really profound. Yeah. Uh, so, so all the people on the boat had the same water as you and yeah. the idea came about as a collective kind of trial and error a trial, trial, trial and error and, and then we and it was one of the biggest reasons we all started doing it mm. uh, we broke the, the, the speed record in the Indian Ocean by over two weeks wow and <laughs> that wasn't because we the best rowers it was yeah. because of what we drank and everything you hear about in the papers with foods it's all about healthy eating Yep. You don't really hear about healthy, healthy hydration. No. People just think water is just water. Yep. Water can right. have different pH levels, it can have different mineral levels, and all of this affects you. Mm. you know? And we, you can never drink seawater straight mm. because that's 3.5% solution, 3.5% salt. Mm. But if you dilute it down, kidneys can only process 2% salt. You dilute it down to only 1%. It's one of the best sports drinks you can have. Wow. Uh, but our water active isn't seawater. That's where the inspiration came from. How do you make water healthy? We'd had, I've seen drinks like Lucasade, seen energy drinks, I've seen sports drinks. But a lot of them have got artificial flavourings, things added to them, artificial colourings. I was like, is there a way of making water healthier without having any of, of these badness in? Mm. No flavourings, no colourings, no E, e numbers. And that's why I researched water in Japan. We find ionized water in Japan. Okay. And they've been using this since 1965. Yep. First of all, it's a list of treatment in hospitals <laughs> for people with IBS and Crohn's and people with bad digestive problems. <laughs> they've done hundreds of clinical trials in that time with huge, I mean, couldn't believe the, the results they had. I mean, one of them was in Texas University 
they got three different pens of mice and they gave one of them tap water, another one ionized pH 9, another one ionized pH 10. They lived an average 235 days when they drank tap water. They lived an average 287 days when they had pH 9 water and 346 days wow. when they had pH 10. And that's not an isolated study. There's been numerous pH studies. Is, is not, not well, what <laughs> you, pH 10 is the absolute top limit. We actually yeah. ionize ours to pH 9.8. Okay. Once you go above 10, it becomes, it becomes you know, it, if you go too Dangerous. far either, either way, it's the same way. If you go up to pH 14, you know, that will, that will cause a rash if you put it over your, over wow. your hand. Yeah. So you want to be, the, the, the sweet spot is really pH 9.5. Normal water that you get from uh, shops or from like the tap, what are they pH? That, 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 that's, that's about pH 7, 7 to about 7.4, 7. right around that. Uh, but what's in the Western diet is so acidic. Mm. Carbonated soft drinks um, are all very acidic, they mm. are all under pH of 4. Mm. Uh, the colas are particularly acidic, especially the diet ones, yeah. they've got sweeteners. They're more acidic, the diet ones, than, than the full fat ones. Yeah, uh, my, my teeth uh, showed that after a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the dentist said that to you, they say diet coke is worse for you, phosphoric acid. Yeah, that's, that's right, that's yeah. right. And, and how the pH scale works is it's a logarithmic scale. Mm. It's similar to the Richter scale with earthquakes. Yep. Um, so if you imagine, if you go from pH 9 to pH 10, that's times 10, 10 times more power. Oh. So as you go down the scale, you take a zero with every number you come down. Mm. So if you take an energy drink, that's over 100,000 times more acidic than active. Oh. If you take a cola, that's over a million times more acidic than that. <laughs> Do you think you can you balance it out? So say you had really acidic drinks, a lot of them throughout the day, and then you had a bottle of active. Ab- absolutely. Would that help? Absol- abso- yeah, abso- absolutely. And you know uh, uh, what we're trying to do isn't about the alkaline diets. You know this is all about rebalancing. Mm-hmm. We like it because it's it's been shown in studies uh, to to hydrate faster than ordinary water. Mm. And there was a huge study taken in International Society of Sports Nutrition. Took 100 athletes, dehydrated them uh, by 2% of body mass, gave them the same water, they showed blood plasma every 15 minutes, how quickly it had rehydrated them. Mm. After one hour, they're fully rehydrated with ionized alkaline water, mm. and they concluded it was 88% faster hydrating. So that was, there's been other studies where the rate has changed from 17 to 30%, others say 80%, but all of them prove it hydrates faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and people feel different. Well, one thing I've, I've been asked, uh, we've been working back to water for a while and flavourings of it. Yep. And you've obviously tried things out at different events where you've been giving out um, active water. Um, but like, would it be possible to flavour a drink and still keep the alkaline levels the way they are? Or is it going to be just water as it is? Yeah, flavouring has become more difficult because mm-hmm. they tend to be acidic. They tend to be in acidic beverages. And it's a very temperamental process when you ionise water. Uh, there is, there are ways of doing it. We're looking at it, and we're focusing on our core proposition now. But once we've kind of reached saturation of being in the major grocers, yeah. uh, then we'll be looking at brand extensions. Oh, yeah. So, and so it's a possibility that that could potentially. I think that's massive. Yeah, I think it's really, really exciting. And one of the biggest markets for us now is America, yeah. and ionized alkaline water exists in America. It's the fastest growing beverage category. Wow. We're lucky that no one's done it over here in Britain or in Europe. Uh, but we're now looking at ways of being different and unique and standing out in America. Yeah. 
and uh, so that's going to be really exciting for us. Nice. So it's obviously getting people's habits of having an Ironhouse and having it on a regular basis is one of the major things you've got to do and making sure everyone tries it at some point and then showing the benefits of it is something that you guys are pushing hard to do. I, I'm interested in how, uh, I know you talked about um, how you thought of the idea as a group when you're out there, taking it from this moment and then going to creating this amazing brand that you've got how did, how did that process work? What was the first thing you did like when you got home after you done the research, after you thought about it? Where did you go? Who did you speak to? And, and, and how did that play out? Well, the hard, hardest thing you can do is commit and start. And, and the hardest thing? The hardest thing. <laughs> because once, once you've started, everything else takes care of itself. Um, but it's a bit, if you've got no money, which I you know, spent all in the MBA, mm. came back, I was living with my parents at the time, uh, my dad saying you've got to go you've got to get a job I just knew there was something in this and but there was so much risk at that stage at that stage I hadn't worked out that it was going to be you know what it was going to be called I had no money I don't know where I was going to make it <laughs> I don't uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't have a team behind me I didn't have funding behind me I didn't have any of these things but none of that actually matters all that matters is you get one step further and one step further and then that gets you into the next stage mm. and sometimes you think you're making no progress but you look where you were a month ago and three months ago before that, and you realise you've come a long way in that distance. Yeah. And so... It's so hard to measure that, though, like, to, to see that. And you can look and self-reflect and say, ah, oh, how much of, how far have I come in this month? And sometimes you might think nothing has moved, but you know the conversations you've had, the people you've met along that month will have done something. They can't have done nothing. So from the moment you, you thought of the brand and the first steps you took, how long did it take before you think, this is a real thing? I'm going to make it. Uh, well, it's, I'm hoping right from the start, you know, naively, if it hadn't worked, that, that, <laughs> that, 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 that this could, could be a real thing. I think the, the biggest moment for us that this is going to make it was when we actually raised funding. And How much did you raise at that point? Well, I raised 50,000 from kind of friends, fools and family. Not fools. Not so much fools now. Smart people. Smart <laughs> people. As, as the saying goes, and, and they were great because they, there's something called SEIS. Okay. Uh, that means that if you invest 5,000 into a company, 50% of that you can actually write off against your tax. Okay, yeah. So, you can, so they're only investing 2,500. Mm -hmm. If this all goes down and that they lose everything, they get another 20%. So only risking 30% of that £5,000. Yeah. If it all goes right and they sell out, you don't pay any capital gains tax. Wow. Zero tax on it. So set up by George Osmond, it's a very powerful yes. uh, thing, thing, thing to have. So we managed to get the first 50,000. I hired a beverage consultancy company called Zenith Global uh, to help us with the whole the market research, the kind of their recommendations, the financial model. Um, uh, we've worked with uh, the, one of the laboratory, laboratory teams. And so that really helped us. I worked with a branding company, mm. and that took us through the whole branding creation. Yeah. Luckily, they were a small branding agency at times. So they gave us uh, gave us a very good price. Yeah. In branding, you know, that was negotiated hard. Yeah, well, they, they, they say you, <laughs> they, they they give discounts if they're going to get uh, two out of the three fame, fun, or yeah, or, or, or fortune. Fortune. And yeah, so yeah. because they were a young company, they thought well, this could be fun and. You know, they could, you know, it could, it could come right away. As, as, as a case study. And so we managed to get a very positive deal and we got helping from Scottish government uh, with a lot of grants. And so this kind of took us, one step took us to the next step. 
and managed to then go out and hire a team. Yeah. They were all kind of independent at that time. And it all changed when I was in London one night. And the night that I wanted to go home, have an early night, hmm. and we didn't. We went to Shelton Firehouse and as a result, got chatting to someone at the bar. Mm-hmm. It turned out to be Gareth Woods. And he, immediately, he was drinking a lot of Red Bull at the time. <laughs> he realised the, the huge branding potential of drinks if you do it as a lifestyle brand. Mm-hmm. And immediately he got it, he understood it. Three months later, he invested 600,000 into the company from random lights out. Wow. Uh, we've actually raised 1.8 million so far <laughs> uh, in the company. And it's funny looking back at it, because at the start, there were so many unanswered questions. Yeah. You don't know if it's gonna work, if it's not gonna work. But you just get to the next stage. What well, if you make the product, will people be interested? Yeah. Well, obviously, you get onto the shelves. Will people even buy it? Yeah, yeah. There's so many things you've got to think about. Yeah. And you're playing so many different hats. Yeah. When you start, you're doing all the grant applications. You're putting everything into zero. You're dealing with the accountants. You're doing all the gag charts, all your kind of, you know, tuning for co-packers, uh, all the branding. And it's very strange, little by little, letting go of one thing onto another. Because you're paying people, you're managing accounts. But once you have let go of certain things, you actually never want it back again. Yeah. Which is quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. I would hate to do the anything in Xero now. You know, it's not the best use of my time to, to be paying yeah. people. Uh, but once you kind of get, get out of that and, and realise, you know, you, the, the biggest question you've got to ask yourself as an entrepreneur is, is this the best use of my time? Mm-hmm. And if it's not, focus on what, what you know, is the best use of your time. I suppose you can only do that once you've got the team and the funding around you to be able to do that. But like you just said then, you've dealt with every single hat, I suppose, along the journey. Um, which part of that like spectrum, as, as it were, as you're coming up, did you like the most out of it? Were you a accounts guy? Were you a marketing guy? Were you oh, a def- product def- guy? Oh, def- definitely marketing, branding. Yeah, marketing. You know, coming up with the prototypes, coming up doing the branding designs, yeah. uh, coming up with the, the kind of creative thought. I mean, that, that was so much fun. Yeah. Looking at other brands, looking what's you know out there in the market, <laughs> how you can be different, how you can be unique. And for us, the big thing is creating that emotional connection that no one has done the water markets. Mm-hmm. The water market is the most competitive market. If you take the whole of alcohol, yeah. milk, tea, soft drinks, alcohol drinks, water is by far the most competitive. <laughs> Very few brands, either here or in the US or anywhere in the world, will actually make decent profits. <laughs> it's, it's, that, it's that competitive. Supermarkets, some of them charge 90% margins. Really? You know, others charge 70% margins. And usual margin for a drink could be between 35 to 45%. You're in water, it's so high. So Being on the shelves at the first thing people see is, is the main thing, but then it's like the, what, what you're doing is so unique in the UK, especially. Um, it's making sure people are aware of that. And I imagine your role is now changing from doing all this stuff to build the product, to make the connections, to now being how do we get the word out about what we are and what we do? Yeah. And how's that playing out? How are you enjoying that side of things? Oh, absolutely. So, absolutely loving it now because, you know, once we, we, we've grown to about 3,000 retailers, we only launched 18 months ago. Mm. Uh, we started in Harrods, then went to Whole Foods. Good place to start. <laughs> yeah, it's a brilliant platform actually to, to, and now we're in, yeah, to, to Tesco's, about to go to Sainsbury's next month, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon. And, and it means that we've got with investments and with our cash flow, money to then expand into the marketing. Hmm. So we're trying to hand out over 500,000 bottles this year, mm-hmm. a quality sampling hmm. that's at key events. 
uh, one of them, which is, is <laughs> run free, which, <laughs> which, which has been brilliant for us. Uh, we've just done the London Triathlon this weekend. Uh, but, oh, we've done the Body Power, we've done Beef at London, Ming Walk, uh, loads of events. And th- th- those have really worked out for us really well. Mm. Uh, the PR, we did a big trade press, we did consumer press. Uh, because we're unique and because we're a challenger brand in a very competitive space, we've done everything in reverse. You know, we've all water companies they've been trying to find cheaper solutions lightweight the bottle lightweight the labels make everything cheaper you know so produce more, more of it and then the, the, the price of water is actually going down year on year yeah. and we've come and said well we'll charge two and a half times more <laughs> eight times more what you can get you know at Tesco or St. Teresa's own label mm. and we're going to produce something that people will actually want to have yeah. and you know and we don't just chuck away yeah. and they feel an emotional connection to and on paper, it would have shown that we, you know, we, we, we would, no one would actually buy it. Yeah. Uh, but now we've actually created a category of premium waters and functional waters, mm. where we're the kind of the market leader with an alkaline. And so it's been a very exciting time. But we've had to position it as we're not a water. Yeah. Uh, which we're not. No. Yeah. We're for our price point, for the look and feel, through the name, uh, through the taste, through everything about the functional benefits. We, we can't compete in the water category. Mm. We got on those margins, we can't compete, and we can't compete uh, and by doing, doing those volumes and paying you know, the market investments they do. So we've had to create our own category, very similar to how Red Bull created the energy drink category. Mm-hmm. We've done the same, but with a truly healthy product. Yeah. It's had a lot of clinical trials, a lot of evidence. Mm. And it's now, today, with the whole beverage industry, Alkaline water is growing faster than any other brand, any other category. Hmm. So it's it's a very very exciting time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You touched on it then, um, environmental side of things, and it's something that we get come across daily, and and it's something that I know you've you're very passionate about making sure you get the word out that you're doing good things for that side of things as well. Um, you mentioned the bottle you use, um, and, and they're recyclable and. Uh, yeah, it's very important to us. Uh, we, we've got two, we've got glass bottles and we've got uh, PET bottles. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we, we use virgin PET, very high grade material, and, uh, which is BPA free. Yep. So there's no BPA in it, so you could leave the site in the sun for a year and nothing would actually melt into the bottle. You don't get microplastics in this. Uh, it's a very healthy form, it's 100% recyclable, which very, very few bottles are. Mm-hmm. If you take the cap, if you take the label, if you take the whole bottle, very few bottles are, and we've made this so it's 100% recyclable, you can mm. carry on recycling it. We're looking to go to loop industries, so actually closing the loop fully, so that's where we take 100% recycled plastic out uh, yeah, from, from the market, so you can get nothing of petrochemicals. It then gets broken down from molecular process to virgin PT, so it never becomes cloudy or never, you don't get any impurities, mm. and you can keep on doing this process over and over again. So you close the loop, so nothing will then end up, you know, the theory is nothing will end up, um, you know, in the oceans. In the oceans, yeah, yeah. But with that, the, the, the plastics been talked about every single day, one, you know, at least one paper will be talking about plastics. Mm. What people don't realise is it's a great, it's a very lightweight material, it's a very strong material. Uh, what we need to do more of is actually to recycle as a country. Yeah. Denmark recycle 90% of the bottles. Hmm. Other places uh, are, you know, have very high rates of recycling. In Europe, the total recycling of bottles is actually 57%. Yeah. It's actually about 45% in the UK. Mm-hmm. So a lot more can be done. 
But if you take what ends up in the ocean, which is in David Attenborough documentaries, only 4% of the bottles that end up in the oceans come from North America, in Canada, USA and Mexico, and the whole of Europe. Only 4% of the bottles in the ocean come from these, these, these continents. Yeah. Uh, over 50% of it comes from China. Wow. And a huge amount of it comes from just yeah, three rivers in China. China. Really? And that's, that's fascinating. Like. And it, some of these are just rivers of plastic going down. Wow. They don't just chuck bottles of water in. They chuck everything in. A lot of it sinks in these rivers. Hmm. So cans will tend to sink. Glass will sink. Uh, plastic floats. This is what and you see as well. It's more visible, more. Oh, exactly. Yeah. But a, but a lot has been done in, in the, the, there's the big ocean cleanup, there's, there's solutions, especially around in, in the Western Pacific, mm. uh, for big cleanup operations, and they seem to be going very well. Yeah. So I, I think it's a case that we need to value plastic, recycle it, get into, the, get into that pattern, mm. and look at other materials. We think glass is going to be a major, you know. Uh, well, one day it might it will never take over plastic sales but it will get very close to us yeah no it's, it's fascinating you're doing a lot of good things within that industry there and um, for the environment but yeah I'm going to pivot a bit to kind of have a think about uh, the future of what you're going to do and you obviously got to this point now where do you see it going with Active personally from your side of things well one, one thing leads on to another and so when we started in Harrods we wanted to get into you know more key stores once you get to more key stores you want to get into a supermarket yeah. once you get into a supermarket you then want to think how do I just start a country <laughs> and then once we're now we're now selling in 13 countries the moon is up yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you can be, with each stage you get more and more ambitious for us our long term ambition is to turn this into a full lifestyle brand yeah where we're not about the water or about our products. We're about something more than that. Yep. And that can be not just within this industry, within drinks. It can turn into a whole lifestyle brand where it's all about being active. Yep. Going out and having that active lifestyle, that active mindset. Mm. I think it's a very powerful, powerful thing. The, the, the name itself is a, is a play on that whole... Yeah, it's, a very, it's very hard to actually get a name. Uh, <laughs> yeah. to, 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 we went through hundreds, literally hundreds of names. And lots of names with you know with with different yeah. versions of pH, and almost all of them have been trademarked in America or in another country. Wow. And Active was one of the few that actually hadn't. It's such a powerful word as well. Like, and you probably don't when you think of it when when you say it out loud, Active, you probably think of it how it's spelled normally. But the way you played on it there, it's, I was surprised that it was still available. But <laughs> yeah, well, a lot, a, lot, a lot of people will call it call it Active pH. When you look at it, you can't quite when they read it, spell it. You know. Yeah, that's uh, so I heard it first when it was spoke about by yourself on videos and stuff that I've watched. And yeah, yeah so it's a bit different when you um, when you when you just you say it. And, that, and that's why we had to come up with the term drink active, be active, mm-hmm. so people realise oh, so that's that's not Active pH. That's that's another another play of words with 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 active. Find the name for a business is always a hard thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the ball on that one, I think. But so you're thinking other countries growing it. Uh, and trying to get the so China obviously is a is a huge area there. Is that a country that you think you can get? I think uh, there's huge potential in China. It's a very fragmented market. Mm. Very few brands really make make it work in China. Yeah, so you're really dealing with three cities to start with. Mm. 
Beijing, um, Shanghai, and Hong Kong. Hong Kong. We're, we're actually selling in Hong Kong at the moment. Really? Yeah, surprisingly. Uh, we didn't even... Through what store? Tesco? Uh, through one of our wholesalers. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it's already in some health shops over in Hong Kong. Started. You started, started already. <laughs> without us even, no. you know, sending a single fly right. Uh, wow. Yeah. And repeat orders, so... Um, but the biggest market for us is America, mm. right? An absolute market. America, mm. Mexico, Canada. Mm. And it's all about having that lifestyle brand. The scale in America is unimaginable to what it is in Europe. Mm. To give you an example of this, last year I looked around the Evian plant and they produced two billion bottles a day. Wow. It was the most impressive plant I've ever seen. For coming from our operation, yeah. Yeah. I think it's very impressive to yeah. see this, which was on such that they've got their biggest tra- private train station in the whole of Europe. Oh. They take the, the water all around. Well, where is it based? So that's in the town of Evian, in- so, so Lake Geneva. Wow, okay. Yeah. And on, on, the, on the French side. And then I get onto the bus afterwards <laughs> with another person who was completely unimpressed, thought they were using old technology. And I thought, who, 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 you know, small brands have come up, you know, who've positioned to be cheap with an alkaline water. First year, they've made seven and a half million just in Costco. Wow. National. So it's the, the speed at which you can grow over there is so, so wait, wait, when it happens, you have to be ready for it over there. You have to, so. you have to, you have to be ready. Are you putting you have things have in place now to prepare for that? We, we are, and we're, we're, we're looking to, at the moment, we're, we're not ready to do it. So we're looking to work exclusive with big uh, retail partners in different 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 countries. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking to a major retailer out of the Netherlands, right. one major one in France, very upmarket, mm. and we're trying to do the same within the health industry in the States mm. and launch an Amazon yeah, for exactly. a certain amount of time, nine month exclusivity, and then look to then build it up slowly. Nice. So That's fantastic. If you get, get, get on Amazon, then you'll be avoid your oyster. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, Amazon sales in the States are a lot higher than, than in the UK. Really? The grocery industry in that, and Amazon in the UK is a lot slower than it is in America. Yeah. But the speeds, I mean, the number one alkaline water, just in one skew, the one litre, mm. they turn over over a million in sales on Amazon alone a month. Wow. You know, and that's just one one Crazy cool. But so it shows you. For yourself personally, you think you'll you obviously have to move over there if that happened. Do you, are you are you the kind of person that doesn't mind doing that? Obviously, you've travelled a lot. You do a lot of that kind of stuff anyway. I think it would be great fun. I, I think do. there's the states, the place. As soon as you get get off the plane, that you have a spaz. There's an energy there yeah. that you I've never seen anywhere else in the rest of the world. Yeah, it's uh, apart from China. China, they have that energy too. Mm. But it's so much fun. It's yeah. so people are so friendly, so eager to help. And I think that'll be a, a very, very fun next step to take potentially. No, no, yeah. It, uh, from the sounds of it, it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I think it, from, from the outset, we spent a lot of time really thinking about the brand before we'd actually launched, and and then thinking, what else can we? If this works, what else can we actually go into? Mm. And for us, you know, it's, it's about creating that lifestyle brand. Yeah, that could be hopefully a household name, um, but it's. Takes a lot of work to kind of get through the early stages first. Yeah, you know. definitely. No, it's fantastic. Um, I'm gonna go through a few more little smaller questions now. A bit more about you okay. um, and how you plan your things. Obviously, you're a busy person. So, uh, run through with me a working day for you. 
Yeah, so working day will be up at 6.30. And I try, what's very important, I used to work very hard, uh, right up to 1, 2 o'clock at night. But it's not good long term. I think you, you should always try to get at least six and a half hours sleep, if not seven hours sleep. Mm. And like, it, makes, it makes a big difference. Uh, once you're up, have breakfast and try to start, uh, you know, start, start the day at 8, 8, 8 a.m. Yep. And, uh, you know, you'll go through your first emails when you're probably just waking up. Yeah. But you want to start, you know, 8 a.m. Between that time to 1 p.m. every day, I try to get through every single thing I need to do. Hmm. And then after that, you either focus on thinking about things, new business, um, have meetings in the afternoon. I try to do all the work before in the morning. And that, that first 8 to 1 gap. Yeah. Uh, in a typical week, Monday to Friday, I tend to be in one place getting everything organised, very much on the emails. Hmm. And Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all tend to be meetings yeah. and travelling. Yeah. But I'm always, you know, in one place, have no meeting, tend to have no meetings on a Monday mm. or Friday, and try to most of the midweek. Do you work from home or do you go to the office? Well, it's, it's both. We've got an office in Edinburgh and yeah. we've got an office in London, so there's a lot of travelling involved. And with what we do, we don't actually have to be in the office that much. Mm. You know, you could, you can work work from anywhere. Yeah. Um, got your laptop, that's fine. We're, we're with a laptop, you know, so, so it's. It's all about how much you can actually get done. Yeah. And my role has progressed from essentially doing being a jack of all trades and, and a master of none to kind of you know to kind of focusing uh, focusing on one, on one one thing, which is uh, which is now being out there and getting new business and sales and distribution mm. and new opportunities. Yeah. And once we get contracts through. I don't do the account management. I'll come and have meetings once every kind of six months, check it's all, you know, uh, working how it should, should work. Yeah. You focus on the next one and the next one. And for a lot of people, they end up um, becoming salesmen, essentially. Mm. Salesmen's not, you know, yeah. a lot of people look down at salesmen, but you, you, it's so important. People want to meet the founder. They want to meet how yeah. this all came about. Uh, I remember the first meeting I had with Tesco, they didn't want to have meet, meet any sales reps. Hmm. They even we had to even prove what our equity, equity was. Wow. They didn't even yeah because they wanted to meet the decision makers yeah. and not deal with agencies. Do you find that that people are often wanting that every time and bringing you back into the business, or do you find that you kind of now got a team in place that you can let that go? Yeah, very. Well, we're certainly getting into that stage of. of I mean, I, I try as much as I can to 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 let go hmm. and let, let people. Um, you know, each department, but sales, marketing, production, mm. to to have ownership of that. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very hard because some things, because they joined at a later stage, they might not have knowledge about what we did with early designs to mm. branding to, and so you have to kind of every now and again, you know, get get involved. Teach them. Possibly. Yeah, and and but it all seems to be working really well. Um, mm. the hardest of things will go from one. It's just me to hire someone else, yeah. and then we're at seven at the moment. Yeah. We've got other 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 people we can call on, and the next thing for us is then expanding it again. Mm. And big worry is what we're going to do. Not worry, but Employment. opportunity yeah, is what yeah. we're going to do in, in America. Yeah, and it's you know finding the right person to do that with, and yeah, uh, it's right right partners. We're making it over there, mm-hmm. so you get no import taxes, you get no no mm. issue, issues. Water is very 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 heavy. Yeah. The great thing about our process is you purify the water, 
add electrolytes and ionize it. You can make it anywhere. Yeah. You can make this in China, you can make this in South Africa, Australia, and you don't need to you know, ship water anywhere. You take that water brands from, from, let's say, Fiji, for example. You know, that has to come a long distance to come over here. Mm. And, and then today, Do you manufacturing in the place you make and it? And we, we're manufacturing the place mm. we make it. And it tastes exactly the same, exactly the same pH, exactly the same minerals, every single place. Fantastic. And that's, 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 yeah, that's, that's the next plan for, for the States, making no. it all over there. So you've got your, your meetings in the, in the, to the night time and then you kind of finish up, depending where you are in the country, I imagine like meetings for you might be after work, it might be um, having a drink socially and having a conversation like the person. Yeah, the, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of relationship building, yeah. you know, which means you're, you're out a lot too, and mm. whether it's dinners, events, networking things. Yeah. Um, I actually find one of the night, best times to work is actually at night. Mm. So after you, after you have you know, your, yeah, your, your dinner, mm. relaxing and getting a whole lot of emails done. Where you've actually got some headspace. Yeah. You had a busy day. Yeah. Um, so you always, if someone writes an email, always try to respond uh, within a day. It's quite hard, but yeah. it's you know busy. Yeah. <laughs> when you've got when you've got a lot coming in and you've got yeah. presentations you're preparing for. But yeah. uh, that's how we. Uh, do you manage your own schedule, your own diaries, or, or do you have someone help you with that? I I manage manage myself. So yeah. Um, it feels like organised chaos <laughs> yeah. from, the, from the outside. We managed to do it. Uh, Are you an inbox zero guy or? Like you said before, you've got to plan in a day. So do you, can you leave it for a day and not worry about it? Or do you have got to clear everything every day? Uh, try, try to. I mean, the thing is, you've got to prioritise. Yeah. And the best thing to do is actually email someone back straight away, even if it's just one line. Yeah. And when you say, right, I'll come back to this later on, it tends to get left and you realise, actually, it's been mm. a week and I haven't done it. So <laughs> it's much better to do it straight away, no matter how, how short the answer actually is. But are you consistent with that or do you come in waves? Do you have um, months or two months where you'll be on it? And then you'll have a month or two where you're not. Well, it's, it's hard. It's when you're on being entrepreneur, it's very hard to actually be balanced. Mm. You know, because you're so driven by the fear or excitement and that adrenaline. And once you have something major happening mm. in the company, it's very exciting. It's very to spend too much money. And, sorry, too, too much thought process on that. Mm. And and that's 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 I, I find sometimes I do that. So I've got to be yeah. better. Like everyone has uh, strengths and weaknesses, and I think mine's better. You know, is to try to try to be better at that time. Do you, do you think about it? Do you, do you like learn and read and kind of educate yourself in that manner? Or yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely, and uh, try to read as much, you know, as many books as well. Mm. Um, business books or your business books. Um, not so much self self help, but finding out what others have done, other journeys, yeah. how they've gone about it. It's mm. a great podcast out there where you're hearing. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's story is different. Definitely, you know, it's it's a very different to to these people how they started, how they grew it. I find Which podcast you listen to. What what are your favourite ones? Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, Lululemon was was a recent one, yeah. uh, which which absolutely, yeah, I mean just 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 the scale of it, um, how quickly it grew, uh, how other ones grew. Uh, there was this. Um, uh, the bars over over in the states. It was just started CrossFit. Yeah, they turned it into business of five hundred million. Soul size, tall cycle, that kind of. Yeah, yeah. it was oh, really impressive. Uh, grenades. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean that that story is just incredible. Is there a podcast you're listening to where you've got all these things in one one place, or are you kind of uh, just picking and choosing what you? Pick, yeah, picking pick, pick and choosing yeah, yeah. which ones. Nice no, and. 
what, what, what's happening now is we're seeing people don't want to be sold things from big faceless corporations. Yep. They'd much rather have a beer that came from a founder. Yeah. It's something that, as Brewdog. Brewdog, yeah, I've read that book uh, recently. You know, well. which is, I mean, that's a fascinating, fascinating yeah. And, uh, I mean, Grenades, you know, what a story. To create the second biggest bar in the whole of the UK, confectionery bar. And, mm. you know, mm. before that, they would never have thought that's possible. Same Brewdog, I suppose, isn't it? Like a, yeah, and they, 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 they both created that healthy snacking category. Mm. Uh, Brewdog created the craft beer category. Yeah. And similar, in some ways, to us, we're creating. The, the alkaline water category. That's good. All you can of see us some have gone into very competitive <laughs> industries. Yeah. But we tried to re, you know, it takes a long time at the start, but once you build that community, mm. what we've always tried to do is not think about a niche. We tried to get a community of people who really buy into active and mm. drink it every day. Mm. And some of them drink, about a third of our customers drink two litres or more every single day. <laughs> uh, so you've got very, very high repeat uh, rates of sale. Really? Which we call activists. Activists. You're breathe the active lifestyle brand. So. No, I, like that. I remember reading the, the Brudo book and he mentioned the yeah, investors in it and yeah. having that. I've got the name we use for it, but uh, people, I suppose, paying them to keep going, but it was like supporters. It was like their community. They were building that, people who were passionate about that product. And that's a great way to do it for you guys as well. Cause, Absolutely. Because inter- integrating what you have into someone's life is everything for what you're trying to do. So that's a fantastic way. I know working... What, what, what's so interesting about peers from the outside, they're all overnight successes. Mm-hmm. But it took a long time for all of these companies to get going. Mm-hmm. And, but once they get going, you know, it's, it's the momentum's built. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard for a big corporation to then come into that space after these brands yeah. have been built. Unless they, they buy them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's, Unilever or something. That's right. So yeah. they, they own that emotional space in people's yeah. minds. You know, they've they've got they other own that category. You know. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I was asking then about your um, next question was to ask about your business philosophy, but it's kind of you've kind of gone into bits of it. But if you were to kind of describe it in say a sentence of your business philosophy, what what do you think it is? Oh, well, I think the main two thirds of your time or more is actually you know in business. You know, so, so, so you've got to have a lot of fun when you do it. Mm. And it's, that's, that's a huge thing, actually coming to work, coming to work, it comes a Sunday night, wanting to be in work on Monday. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that's a huge thing. Passion all work. the time, you know, having fun, making sure the team are all having fun, you know, celebrating success um, and being, you know, being very, being very ethical with it. Mm. Um, because when you're growing something, there's no need to... You're creating something from zero to one, mm. so you're no need to to be you know, difficult with anyone. Yeah. You know, there's there's plenty there, and one thing we've just set up is an option scheme. Mm. So it means all our employees, um, yeah, in, in time, the only ones will be, uh, yeah, will have shares in the business. Yeah. So that's so it's, it gets yeah. a real community going, and so right from the outside with our customers, and right, you know, internally. You know, we want to have a real community. Like Starbucks did that, didn't they? They had a similar kind of system set up. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, even Google did it, and it turned out they couldn't. They had a, one time had such a problem they couldn't play one of their cleaners. Yeah. Google managed to get. I mean, the whole everyone managed to get get shares, and she ends up being a millionaire from it. <laughs> and, <laughs> she was there right from the start. Time to invest in actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, that's next bit. So you exercise routine. Obviously, you're a sports person when you were younger, and you obviously done some crazy, crazy feats. Obviously, training for a new thing that you're going to be revealing, I imagine, in the next few months. Um, but 
terms of your your life and you've obviously got your emails, you've got travelling, how do you fit exercise in? Well, it's very difficult actually uh, because mentally you get drawn into the business a lot mm. and sometimes you got to force yourself. It's mentally you're drawn yeah. rather than the physical having to be somewhere, it's kind of your mind. You're you're, yeah, you're, you're thinking, you know, how else, you know, uh, how else do you get contracts? How else do we go into other countries? Mm. How do, else do we go into other markets? How else do we, you know, when's the right time to diversify? Not so much, how do, when do I go for a run today or when do I go for a, that, a row? Or... Well, but one, once you get into fitness, the more you do something, the, the more you want to do it. Mm. And uh, to start starting training now, not heavily, but three times a week, mm. I'm starting, you know, going, going up to, you know, five or six times a week yeah. for this. For this what are you doing? Are you, is it rowing itself you're doing? Yeah, rowing? so, so what the biggest thing for us is being able to row. Uh, so it's, uh, rowing and, and ocean rowing is very different, different to rowing. And right. rowing you're much, your hands yeah. much higher up. And as a result, yeah, on a row machine, put out concept two, put out drag factor 10 mm-hmm. and try to row. For one hour at one fifty nine or below. That's what you're doing. A split time. No. Yeah. And at the moment, I'm just over two minutes, <laughs> and and it's tough. It's it's, mm. it's 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 almost like a weight session. You're combining with yeah. right. and then outside of that, boxing circuit classes are really good. Mm. They're just the heart rate. You know, that the, the, you get up to those. It's just incredible. Yeah. And it's so. I mean, it's. The fitness you feel, even the energy you get the next day, it's incredible. What time do you go off your, your exercising? What time do you go out and do it? Uh, try to do it early in the morning. First, oh, first thing early in the morning, okay. because otherwise it's after you're, and then you've got the rest of the day set up. And you don't have that guilty feeling. Yeah. Whereas it's so easy to come back from work and come back a bit late. And you think, oh, I've had one cup of tea, and then you just don't get around to it. Yeah. You don't have the energy in the evenings. Whereas the first thing in the morning, you're so much. The rest of your day goes so much better. Yeah, fantastic. You've taken about it's been great today. A lot of information. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to ask you one one thing. It's kind of interesting. I always ask people um, if you could have a a robot do one task for you in the day. What would it be? And what would it do? Oh, <laughs> write emails. <laughs> to, write, to, to write emails yeah that would be that would be the physically writing of it because obviously you've got to think about it remembering the right answers for the right emails well I mean if I didn't have meetings in a day my entire day would be in front of a laptop or on the phone mm-hmm. and and either chasing people trying to get hold of people or, or you know d- dealing with something on email yeah which, which is good yeah, I mean you have to do it but it's far more fun actually being out there, having, so. you know, d- d- having meetings. Yeah, yeah. So I had two of me. Robert, yeah. Always, always be out at meetings. No, That's fantastic. It. Thank you so much for your time today. You've been absolutely fantastic, and you've got a great story. Thank and, you. Um, speak soon. Brilliant. Cheers. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers. For more information on Active Water, check out their website, ActiveWater.com. Active spelled with a PH. And that's it for this episode of the On Your Marks podcast. If you'd like more information on GW Active, check out gwactive.com. Thanks for listening and we hope you join us again soon.